Physics World. Hello, and welcome to this special World Quantum Day edition of the Physics World Weekly Podcast, which is part of a company-wide celebration of all things quantum here at Institute of Physics Publishing. I'm Hamish Johnston, and coming up later in this episode, I'm in conversation with a physicist who helped launch World Quantum Day. He talks about the aims of the day and describes some of the celebrations worldwide. But first, I meet the director of a center that brings together researchers in quantum technology and particle physics to develop quantum devices, some of which will take on some of the biggest mysteries in physics. In our first Quantum Day interview, I'm joined down the line from the U.S. by Anna Grassolino, who is director of the National Superconducting Quantum Materials and Systems Center at Fermilab. This is one of five national quantum research centers of the U.S. Department of Energy. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be here. So, Anna, can you tell us a bit about the Superconducting Quantum Materials and Systems Center? What is its purpose and what sort of research facilities do you have? Yes, as, um, as it was just introduced, um, SQMS, Superconducting Quantum Materials and Systems Center, is one of the five national centers funded by the Department of Energy in 2020. Um, we have, we are, um, collaboration of about 28 partners. Uh, the center is headquarters of Fermilab, uh, which leads the collaboration and is the host of the collaboration. But as I mentioned, we are a very broad collaboration which involves uh, national laboratories, industry, and academia. And so the goal of this, of these centers is really to bring together multidisciplinary collaborations with experts at 360 degrees under one umbrella to be able to make transformational advances in the field of quantum information science. So, so for example, we have experts that go from material scientists to condensed matter physicists, uh, to particle physicists, uh, to computational scientists, uh, to experts in cryogenics in superconducting devices. So all of this has to really come together and work together in a mission-driven type of setting where we work towards uh, very uh, well-specified and, and um, milestones and deliverables. So the goal of SQMS really is to advance coherence uh, of superconducting quantum systems and really do, do that by starting at the very root of the problem. So superconducting systems are very promising uh, platform for quantum computing, for quantum sensing, but what needs to be done to really take them to the next level and really enable important applications in quantum computing and quantum sensing is to attack the problem of decoherence of the systems. And so we start at the material level. So we, for example, bring together experts and facilities uh, in um, universities or in national labs, very uh, sophisticated you know, facilities for uh, surface characterization, for material characterization, and we dissect qubits, and then we study qubits, uh, you know, and all their subcomponents, the material. We, we really go to the basics to understand what kind of defects, what kind of interfaces um, 
can cause the coherence of these systems, so the, the loss of quantum information. So we take this unique approach of going hand in hand with the performance of the device and, and, and the understanding of the material properties. And we correlate those. And then when we have a breakthrough of some new understanding, then we go ahead and fabricate new devices by informing new processes. And so, for example, there, we bring together national foundries, more than four national foundries, to build um, new type of qubits or qubits with higher coherence. And we do this in a very coordinated way where we don't only want to see that one group is able to achieve better performance, but we want to really see that we can do that systematically. So from there, from building better and higher coherence devices, we actually then integrate these devices into systems. So there will be quantum computing platforms, quantum sensing platforms, and we go all the way at the end to the applications. So, so really these centers are multidisciplinary, they bring together industry, academia, national labs, but also address what's called the science and technology innovation chain. So showing that we can really go uh, at least three levels of the chain. So from the fundamental science, uh, you know, from the materials so to, the, to the devices, to the prototypes, to the applications. And in the application space, we have a lot of experts uh, that are really eager to harvest uh, the fruit of a quantum sensor of better performance or a quantum computer of better performance. So, for example, we have condensed matter physicists, we have particle physicists, and, and that drives even innovation, right? So, the, so it's kind of both ways, I would say, in what's called a co-design cycle. We, we go bottom-up, making better devices into applications, and application drives also how the devices and the prototypes are shaped and built, so their architectures and so on. So that's a little bit in a nutshell. We are about 450 collaborators, um, dozens and dozens of you know state-of-the-art facilities from, again, materials to devices to cryogenics to ultimately platforms for quantum computing and sensing. So, Anna, I wanted to ask you a bit about your own research. Um, you focus on superconducting radio frequency cavities, and, and these are used in particle accelerators. What's the connection between these SRFs and the development of quantum technologies? Thank you for the question. That actually allows me also to um, tell you a little more about the center as well. Indeed, um, we did build the center upon this unique expertise that we had here at Fermilab, and that it's really my background. I am an expert in superconducting radio frequency cavities. I did my PhD thesis on that, and I did all my research on that. Those are building blocks of particle accelerators, so they are basically the highest efficiency engineered um, oscillators. And so you can think of them as pendulum, a pendulum that basically oscillates for billions and billions of years. So the only thing that beats this cavity is actually nature, like an atomic clock. But they are very close. So what we have been able to do here, Fermilab, for example, part of my research and my group here, was to really um, push the performance of these cavities so to unprecedented level of quality factors. So we now can make them in the 10 to the 11th. Um, so then why is this important? So it's very important for particle accelerators because, for example, we built recently, uh, based on these findings uh, at Stanford, we built uh, the world's most powerful light source called LCLS2, which utilizes this technology because 
high quality factor means very low cryogenic dissipation, which means then you abate the costs and you're able to build a machine that can basically be on at all time and, and therefore can give you much more um, beam capabilities, which in their case translates into um, rather than having, uh, so that's a light source, rather than having a camera that takes uh, you know one shot and then you wait, then you take another shot, you're actually really making a video for example, how you know a protein is unfolding. So, so quality factors we're going to think of this is really enabling for many things in the accelerator space. But it turns out it's enabling also in the quantum space. Why is it so? Because these perfect oscillators actually can become, if coupled with a non-linear element, which would be, for example, a transmon qubit, they can become a building block of a quantum computer. So. And, and, and this is the architecture that actually SQMS really focuses on. We are superconducting quantum uh, systems. So, of course, we advance 2D uh, so, uh, devices, which means on a chip. But our big emphasis is really on taking our cavities, coupling them with one of those chips, and then from there, making a much better qubit that promises to have much higher coherence. We are exploring things like QDITS architectures that could be highly scalable and also could allow things like all-to-all connectivity, allowing some very interesting applications. So, um, so um, another very important connection between SRF and what we're doing is that the way we have gotten to 10 to the 11 quality factors, so to really demonstrate the world's best SRF cavities, has been really by coupling what I was mentioning earlier, the device performance with the understanding of the of the materials, you know, and how defects at the materials level, at the oxide level, at the interface or or superconducting properties, how they tie to the actual uh, performance, you know, and therefore coherence, which is basically Q. So uh, the quality factor of the cavity. So that has also been a strong link in, in terms of bringing the methodology of we want to make the best qubits in the world. We start at the materials level. And, uh, and we really make that connection of understanding why and then improving our devices. So, Anna, you mentioned transmon qubits. Um, so, so how does a, a transmon qubit work and, and what are the challenges of combining them to create a quantum computer? Um, so a transmon qubit, uh, first of all, yes, we do work uh, uh, very much on transmon qubits. In fact, actually, I'm very proud that uh, our deputy director of the center is Professor, Professor Jens Koch, which will, he is one of the pioneers, you know, the first paper actually on the transmon qubit. So this is another big strength, you know, of these centers. We really couple, you know, these experts, really the best experts, you know, in, in the various building blocks that need to come together. Um, so you are asking specifically, you know, in the area of the transmon qubits, um, what we actually do is, as I mentioned, uh, um, first of all, the materials, how to make them better. And then, like you mentioned, the next step is actually how we, how do we couple them and how we preserve this performance and this coherence when we start to couple them, because actually, actually that's an added challenge. Um, so this, this is a really important topic and, uh, and it's definitely subject of our research. And so we have a lot of different, um, you know, avenues that, again, involve both research at the materials level, but also research at the architectural level, which means, you know, modifying geometries in a way that, um, you know, 
the, the, the surface fields are optimized and uh, you can get the best possible coherence when you even when you integrate them onto a processor, which is ultimately what we want. And, and Anna, the center also develops quantum sensors for fundamental physics experiments, such as detecting dark matter or searching for other physics beyond the standard model. C can you talk a bit about how these experiments are done? Yes. So that's a very exciting part, again, that was at the, really at the foundation of our center. We have Fermilab, and we have partners such as the Italian Institute of Nuclear Physics. We have a lot of physicists uh, from Stanford, from John Hopkins, you know, from many universities that are really their area of expertise is particle physics, uh, dark matter, exploring, you know, understanding of the universe. And so everybody's extremely excited of course, I'm a technologist, so I'm excited about pushing the technology, but everybody's extremely excited about how these technologies can really open up, you know, new discovery. Um, so, again, with the SRF cavities, for example, one of the things that we have started to do is to bring them really to this full quantum regime. And, in, and basically what you have now is a perfect mirror in a completely silent environment. So if there is even, let's say, one microwave photon uh, around for a reason, so it shouldn't be there, but one potential reason why it's there is perhaps that dark matter exists and permeates us. And so that's basically one of our experiments. So you take the best cavities in the world, you put them in the coldest places in the universe, and you'll be sensitive to things that otherwise you weren't sensitive to before with other type of experiments. And you can maybe find dark matter or you maybe can exclude the existence of dark matter or what we call dark photons. Uh, we search for what an hypothesized particle called axion, for example. So you actually put these objects in certain regimes surrounded by magnetic fields and you do like single photon type of counting experiments, again, aided by this properties of, of, quantum, of quantum devices like uh, superpositions or entanglement that come in and rescue us and help us enhance the sensitivity of these searches. So we have a really broad program there with a lot of theorists, a coalition of theorists that have really clever ideas on how to do these experiments and then experimentalists that really have the expertise on the, you know, on the device side, but also on the material side to realize those things and say, yes, it's feasible, no, it's not feasible. Or if we get a spurious signal, they're able to interpret what it is and why it's there. Um, what's also very important to mention is not just in the area of dark matter, but there is a lot of interest in using these devices, for example, in gravitational wave searches. Uh, so we are thinking now already how some of these experiments turn into, and so we actually are about to launch even an experiment in collaboration with DAISY and in collaboration with colleagues in Italy at INFN uh, on using some special SRF cavities towards these very silent regimes to detect very tiny electromagnetic signals that will come from a, a gravitational wave passing through the walls of the cavities and generating these tiny signals. So in summary, basically, quantum is helping us building very, very sensitive detectors with sensitivities beyond what was possible before. So, Anna, you've given us some hints about what to look forward to in the future um, from the center. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to mention um, that, that you're working on at the moment and, um, you know, would like to, to let us know about it? I think, I mean, 
I mentioned many of the research directions, and of course, we are excited that the center, I think, will bring some, so that, that, that we are mission-driven and we work together to build a prototype of a quantum computer that could have better performance and quantum sensors that could discover dark matter. Um, but I think what is very important is the byproduct of what we are doing. Two things. One, I think it's extremely important that we build these bridges between academia, national labs, and, and industry, and also the interdisciplinarity. I think as we advance technologies for a particular purpose, uh, it actually pays back for many of our fields which we come from, right? We have people coming from, as I said, material science or they're experts in semiconductor surfaces. Things that we are now exploring in semiconducting surfaces for quantum uh, will come back anyway, for example, for some other microelectronics application. And things that we are discovering with a set of cavities for quantum come back to us in a set of cavities for accelerators and so on. So I, I love how, again, mm, as we push towards unprecedented type of frontiers, you always will have benefits that you were not necessarily predicting or expecting. And uh, so the interdisciplinary aspect is really important. Um, I think at last, I would say the workforce development is one of the things that we focus on. Uh, this field is already very big uh, and there is a lot of excitement, but we still are in infancy in terms of growing a generation. Uh, a, a young, diverse, a strong, talented generation of quantum scientists. And so that's one of the things that excites us the most. Uh, we do schools, we do internships. This summer, we are launching the first summer school that really will bring people to have hands-on expertise. They can come here, not just learn what a qubit is, but actually see it, measure it with their own hands, uh, assemble it on a dilution refrigerator. So we are really trying to... to to pass on these uh, hands-on skills that are really critical to grow the next generation of, uh, of quantum talent. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very exciting. Everything from, you know, the most esoteric cosmology out to, you know, solving really practical engineering problems. I mean, it, it must be a great job to, uh, <laughs> to yeah. sort of oversee all of that and, and interact with, with, with probably some amazing people. Thanks so much, Anna, for coming on the podcast and, and talking about your work. Thank you. Yasser Omar is coordinator of the Physics of Information and Quantum Technologies Group at the University of Lisbon. And he's also the president of the Portuguese Quantum Institute. He helped launch World Quantum Day, and he joins me down the line from Portugal to talk about the festivities. Hi, Yasser. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Hamish. Thanks a lot. It's a great pleasure to be here. So, Yasser, can you give us a brief description of World Quantum Day? What, 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 is, the, um, what is the goal of having World Quantum Day, and what does it involve? The goal is just to, uh, you know, uh, celebrate quantum science um, and technology to disseminate this knowledge to society. It's a bottom-up initiative from scientists from uh, over 65 countries uh, in the world that was launched last year. Um, the launch involved, you know, more than 200 events in over 44 countries and 193 cities. Um, and it's really about what anyone wants to do 
to disseminate and uh, celebrate quantum science. So uh, anyone is invited to organize their own event. They can be scientists, educators, entrepreneurs, technologists, museologists, um, and um, it's just a, a good excuse to discuss uh, quantum science and to organize activities to disseminate it. I see. And, and, and yes, sir, quantum mechanics has been around for a long time. Um, but C C World Quantum Day is fairly new. Is, is, is the day, has the inspiration being the sort of the renaissance in, in, in physicists' interest in, in quantum mechanics and, and all the new wonderful quantum technologies that are being developed? Uh, I think so. That's a very good question. Um, and I think it's a very good point. Indeed, I mean, quantum physics has been around for about 100 years. In fact, there's this plan to celebrate in 2025 the, the centenary of um, quantum physics, quantum science, although, you know, um, it's not easy to find, to pinpoint uh, in the calendar exactly when this, um, you know, new uh, aspect of physics was developed. But, you know, talking to historians of quantum science, um, they consider this was a collaborative effort that happened more or less around uh, 1925. Of course, there was precursor work. Um, and so, indeed, we've been surrounded by even uh, quantum technologies for many decades that are now part of our uh, daily life. Think of uh, many techniques for medical imaging or just uh, the laser, which is crucial nowadays for uh, communications and the Internet, etc. And all these were, in fact, already um, quantum technologies. However, over the last um, decade or two, um, this idea of quantum information um, emerged, in fact, a bit before that, but it was developed over the last couple of decades, and novel information technologies are also emerging with the promise of you know, faster computers and secure, more secure communications with better privacy and more accurate sensors and meteorological systems. Um, and indeed, we now talk about quantum technologies, as this is something new, although uh, they've been around for a long time. So maybe the most accurate name would be quantum information technologies. That's really what is new. And so people now also talk about the second quantum revolution following the one that happened about 100 years ago, or they talk about now quantum 2.0. And so what I would say is that um, this connection between quantum physics and information um, is really new, new in the sense, I mean, it's been uh, happened, you know, noticed since the 80s and being developed over the last um, decades. But it's really now uh, something that um, is uh, pushing uh, the emergence of disruptive technologies. And also, interestingly, by looking at how to develop these technologies, we are also understanding better the fundamental aspects of, um, of quantum physics like entanglement and, and, and other you know, uh, aspects that are still not completely uh, understood. Um, and so, indeed, uh, I agree with your point that um, there is a sort of renaissance. Uh, and it is true that uh, the World Quantum Day is also, um, you know, along these um, dynamics and these um, 
developments. However, I want to point out that um, despite this uh, origin, the World Quantum Day is really about celebrating all aspects of quantum science. So all aspects of physics that are quantum, so in particle physics, in condensed matter, in cosmology, um, etc., uh, and also in chemistry and also beyond that. So the historical part, the philosophical aspects, the, um, you know, potential artistic creations inspired by quantum science. So it's really all encompassing and we definitely want to go much beyond um, the quantum information origin and excitement that exists now and celebrate quantum physics in all its dimensions. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, so you know, I, I suppose it's been the quantum century, isn't it? And yes. it, it sounds like you're you're sort of gearing up um, to to celebrate that. Now, World Quantum Day occurs on the 14th of April every year, and um, uh, our friends in the United States refer to this to this date as 414, and and I believe that that's a significant number in quantum mechanics. Can you uh, can you tell us about the origins of the 14th of April as as World Quantum Day? Yes, you're, you're totally right, Hamish. And in fact, this date was chosen because uh, Planck's constant, which is a fundamental constant in in quantum physics, is 4.14 times 10 to the minus 15 electron volt second. So this is actually an, uh, these are actually unusual units for Planck's constant. Uh, we usually use uh, joule second. And, and this, has, um, this choice has to do with the, the discussion that uh, happened for the choice of date for the World Quantum Day. So um, I can tell you that, you know, the, the, the first idea was to have uh, Planck's birthday, uh, since he was uh, such an instrumental um, uh, scientist in developing quantum physics. But then we, we had a discussion with a bunch of colleagues, including, and very importantly, um, several colleagues from the history of science, and in particular, the history of um, quantum physics. And in this uh, enlarged and international group, um, it was pointed out, so that this was a very interesting discussion because there were many suggestions, uh, you know, uh, maybe the, um, the date of publication of a, a, you know, an instrument or you know, a very important paper, like for example, the Einstein-Podolsky-Rosen paper in 1935 when they questioned the completeness of quantum theory or maybe the, some important um, development that was very transformative for our society, such as the um, um, transistor. This was one of the suggestions. So there were many suggestions, but then the case was made that uh, it would, to make this more universal, we should choose some date that would be independent from uh, any particular region or, or aspect or paper, etc. And so we thought this universal constant um, would be um, the right choice. This is the fundamental constant for, constant for quantum physics. Uh, and then in the most usual units of um, uh, Joule second, and also using this um, um, American uh, way of, uh, uh, you know, listing the dates with the month before the, um, the day, 
um, we, we thought that in, in, with the Jules second constant, this would fall on the summer break. And so our educational goals of uh, involving uh, children in schools and school teachers and also universities, etc., this would not be the best date to celebrate <laughs> well, it. So there, yeah. there was also a practical aspect to, to make this yeah. um, yeah. To make this uh, a date that would be convenient, taking into account this very important educational aspect. So this is exactly how it happened. Uh, also, we were a bit unfortunate, I must say, in the launch year last year, 2022, and this year because uh, this is very close, uh, April 14th to Catholic Easter. So in Catholic countries, um, there's the the Easter break, um, so it makes it harder to. Um, to celebrate it on April 14th itself. Uh, but in fact, this turned out to be um, a good challenge because what we noticed, for example, last year in 2022, the launch year, um, Italy, of course, being a Catholic country and having also this challenge for the date, April 14th, they actually uh, came up with what they call the Italian Quantum Weeks, which go for three weeks. Uh, last year converged on April 14th, and they actually are they have a plan to do this already for three years so they're repeating the Italian quantum weeks this year and they will repeat it. they will do it again already next year so from the onset they, they plan this for three years and um, and in fact this sort of others did similar things we did similar uh, something similar in Portugal last year and this year we shifted things by a week and what happened is in the end we we got uh, world quantum day events from March to May so it's a sort of a Gaussian curve with a peak around April 14th <laughs> there's events being organized and celebrating from March till May through through um, April so in the end that turned out to be um, very nice. Also, I want to pin to, to refer my colleague Marcelo Santos from Brazil, who was um, uh, involved in the discussions of the choice of date. And at some point in the discussions, he said, well, uh, we were trying to choose the date for the World Quantum Day. He said, well, I'm a quantum physicist. For me, every day is a quantum day. And that became our slogan. So now our <laughs> slogan is every day is a quantum day. And in fact, we have this um, project that we hope to launch soon, which we call Quantum Calendar, which will be a sort of, um, you know, let's call it a sort of Wikipedia for uh, significant dates or Wikipedia-like approach to significant dates um, on the history of quantum science and technology, where anyone will be able to suggest uh, a significant date. And so, you know, ultimately we want to have, uh, you know, every day in the calendar um, in, in marked why this, was, this day was significant for some discovery or some development or even, you know, the first uh, day when quantum physics was taught in your university or in your country, etc. So uh, there's actually historians studying how these ideas of quantum physics spread around the world, including by following the publication dates of books, etc. So in the end, this choice of date and this debate for the date and the many suggestions motivated us not to be uh, fixed only on the particular day of April 14th, but actually make this also a, a research project for history of science, make this a, a method, an approach to engage with the public and also with the colleagues who uh, are particular keen on, on a given day or a given event uh, that was significant in history. So this turned out to be a very interested, interesting, globally collaborative uh, effort. And so we hope to launch this calendar, uh, quantum calendar project soon.
Ah, that's great. I, I, li I like the story of, of sort of changing the units to, um, yes. I don't know, make the calculation a bit easier. That's very, uh, <laughs> definitely something a, a, a physicist would do. So, so yeah, so you, you've touched on, um, I suppose, some of the themes of World Quantum Day. Can you, can you tell us about um, some of the activities that are planned around the world? How, how will physicists be celebrating on the 14th of April? So I can uh, give you an example starting here in Portugal. So this year we are organizing the second edition of what we call Quantum at School in Portuguese. So uh, last year for the launch year, we had this discussion, should we have the launch event, right? So we have one event that is the sort of official um, event. And uh, we debated it. And um, in the end, we, we decided against that to, because then we would be privileging some, you know, maybe some region of the world, and even if it's online, maybe some time zone. And we felt that we, this would be unfair because we have colleagues from, you know, all, all continents, and as I said, around 70 countries and growing. So um, what we decided last year was we could have a theme. So we thought about, you know, um, having some event that involved um, high schools and high school teachers and students, and we call that quantum at school. And so the idea was there is no unique uh, central event, but anyone is invited to organize an event involving schools, and then they should put the label quantum at school. And because this was, although this is a bottom-up initiative, this was the only top-down, let's say, um, indication, this makes it like the official event, although it's still bottom-up and, and, and you know, delocalized and so on. And so last year in Portugal, we, we decided within this goal of having a quantum at school event, we organized an event with um, um, high school teachers and, and uh, uh, students, but we wanted to make it about the Portuguese language. So although it was organized uh, initially from uh, here by the Portuguese Quantum Institute in Portugal, we reached out to colleagues in Brazil and also colleagues in Angola and in São Tomé in Príncipe. These are two countries in Africa who are uh, Portuguese-speaking countries. And we, we were very happy and, um, you know, um, uh, with the, 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 we were, were overwhelmed with the, with the engagement because we get we got more than 900 students um, from from Portugal and also Brazil, Angola and and uh, Santo Domingo Prisp online. So we actually had a physical, uh, an in-person talk uh, here in Lisbon. But then the schools around the country of Portugal and in these other countries, they could connect online. And the students were actually in the school. So they were connected online, but uh, from, from the school uh, classroom or auditorium. And so this year we want to repeat this event. It will be on the 20th of April again, because April 14th here is still um, the Easter school break. Um, and we hope this year to have even more um, Portuguese-speaking countries involved in this. So this is just one example of um, how this initiative can actually help cross uh, borders and connect people in, in different continents. Uh, other examples are, are really diverse. And so let me also um, invite all the listeners to go to our website, worldquantumday.org, or the Twitter uh, account, which is at World Quantum Day. And there you have um, a list of all the events um, that are have been submitted and approved for dissemination. Um, and um, you have, you know, maybe more conventional um, events like an outreach talk, um, 
but you also have very interesting uh, and unexpected events like you know uh, an artistic competition to uh, do a painting or some artistic creation um, based on or inspired by quantum um, science. Um, I know, for example, colleagues in Lithuania who are engaging with uh, theater actors. Um, so there's also, uh, I, I, for example, in, in Singapore, I think they're organizing some quantum cocktails. Um, so there, there's many events. I mean, of course, more um, unsurprisingly, you have lab tours, you have talks, you have panel discussions uh, that are extremely interesting, touching the different aspects of quantum science. Quantum science is really fascinating and probably the domain in science where fundamental science is closest to applications, societal applications, new technological applications, right? So just we got the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2022 for um, uh, the experiments that, uh, you know, uh, showed um, uh, the effects of quantum entanglement. And from quantum entanglement, you can directly um, develop a, a quantum crypt, uh, cryptography protocol, quantum key distribution protocol. So although we don't fully understand uh, all the aspects of, of quantum physics, and this is the most fundamental theory we have of nature, from these aspects that even if they're not entirely understood and they are extremely fundamental, you can develop new technologies. And of course, this is fascinating, not only for the scientists and the technologists and entrepreneurs involved, but for society in general. So I think this is a really good occasion to, to have these panel discussions, these debates. But of course, the aspects in particle physics, in condensed matter, in chemistry, in cosmology, uh, etc., these are also very, very important and exciting. So the, the, the events typically cover these, these type of um, activities. And Yasser, before I let you get back to um, putting the last minute touches on your World Quantum Day celebration in Portugal, can you tell us a bit about um, your own research? Um, I understand it focuses on quantum information and quantum technology. So what are you and your colleagues up to? Yes, so uh, indeed, my, my background and my research interests are uh, in quantum information. Uh, within three um, main topics, I would say. So one that I'm very excited about is um, quantum algorithms and um, quantum computing. So I do essentially theoretical work. And so I'm interested not only in see how um, the principles of uh, quantum computation can help us um, uh, address uh, hard computational problems in um, in scientific uh, areas such as high energy physics or plasma physics uh, or also uh, in, in network science. Um, I'm also collaborating with some experimentalists about the development of quantum gates and quantum circuits. So that's the work on quantum uh, computing. Do we also have some activity on quantum networks? We're involved in a bunch of European projects, including the one on the quantum internet. And there, again, more on the theoretical uh, aspects of what is exactly a quantum network, how to define it, what is its properties, um, how it, uh, you know, how can it scale and uh, given noise and other challenges, etc. And of course, now also uh, motivated to find use cases for this future quantum internet. And finally, an aspect that is you know very close to my heart, which is the energetics of quantum computation of quantum technologies. This is now a topic that is getting some attention. 
and, and I think it deserves so. So it may turn out that the biggest advantage of the quantum computer is maybe not uh, being faster or much faster um, as we expect, but we have to find the problems where um, not only we have to develop the hardware to scale these, these machines, these quantum computers, but we have to find the problems where um, this machine can, can provide uh, advantage in terms of speed up. And of course, there are already some very important ones that were identified, but we need more. Hence, also our research with other colleagues on quantum algorithms. And in fact, with some other colleagues in, in, in around Europe, uh, in Paris, Amsterdam, Munich, Copenhagen, and Riga, we created, uh, we just launched the European Quantum Software Institute with that motivation. But besides this very promising uh, algorithmic speed up that quantum computers provide, uh, the main advantage may turn out to be, and we don't know, energetic. So uh, of course, you know, classical uh, computing technologies, IT technologies nowadays are extremely um, energetically um, inefficient and consuming. And this is not only a bottleneck to develop uh, computing, but also has a very um, important um, consequence for our environment and sustainability. And so for many years, uh, since I created my group more than 10 years ago, I've been thinking about this. And in fact, this is the reason the name of my group includes physics of information. This is really a physics of information um, question. Um, you know, um, how the processing or the transfer or the storing of information, what are the energetic costs of that? And so uh, we've been working on this field, on these ideas for a while. We, we actually worked a bit under the radar. We, we now uh, even have a patent, which I must say, I was surprised myself when I'm more on the fundamental side of research. So I'm also surprised by the development of this field um, with all these um, technology, technological applications uh, and, and entrepreneurship activities, startups, etc. Uh, but so uh, I think the energetics of uh, quantum technologies, in particular of quantum computing, is a really interesting uh, challenge from the scientific point of view. Uh, there's this possibility, although it really needs to be addressed, there's different aspects that need to be taken into account. And if it does have provide an advantage, then I think this could be extremely significant um, scientifically and also at societal level. But in any case, it's a really exciting scientific question that I've been pursuing for more than 10 years now. Well, that's fascinating, Yasser. Thanks for... Um... Thanks for updating us on, on your research and also about um, World Quantum Day. And I should say that um, here uh, at Physics World and also IOP Publishing, which publishes um, uh, Physics World, we'll be, uh, we'll be celebrating World Quantum Day along with you. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So thanks, Yasser. Thanks for coming on the podcast. No, thank you very much for the, the invitation, Hamish. It was a great, great pleasure. And so happy World Quantum Day to you uh, and to Physics World and to, to everybody around the world. <laughs> Thanks and happy World Quantum Day to you, Yasser. As Yasser explained, World Quantum Day is Friday the 14th of April. And here at IOP Publishing, our colleagues in journals and ebooks are showcasing some of their best quantum content. What's more, quantum related ebooks will be offered at a discount. A good place to start exploring this material is the Quantum Science Subject Collection on the IOP Science website. That URL is iopscience.iop.org forward slash page forward slash quantum dash science.
not to be outdone by our journals and ebooks colleagues, Physics World editors have selected some of our best articles on quantum science and technology. These will be highlighted on the 14th of April at the Quantum page of the Physics World website, and that URL is physicsworld.com forward slash quantum. The latest episode of the Physics World Stories podcast also has a quantum theme. Host Andrew Glester chats with the science writer Philip Ball, who attended a recital of quantum music in London and wrote a feature article about the new genre in Physics World. Andrew also speaks to Maria Menoni, who is a composer as well as a theoretical physicist working on quantum information. And of course, Andrew plays some quantum music. That episode of the Stories podcast is called Quantum Melodies, the intersection of music and quantum physics, and you can find it on the Physics World website or at your favorite podcast provider. And you can also find Phil's article on the website. Just look for the headline, Can We Use Quantum Computers to Make Music? I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Anna Grassolino and Yasser Omar for joining me today. And a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week when I'm in conversation with an electrical engineer who works for a company that develops quantum technologies for cryptography. Physics World.